Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at a passage that's pretty familiar to us this morning. Um, I think um, it's truth. And uh, if you have a bookmark or something like that, keep it in there. We're going to look at a couple of different passages uh, over the course of the morning. But we're going to come back to Exodus chapter 3. So I'll come back to there. But let me, let me uh, just mention this real quick. I'm not trying to tell you what to do, obviously. But when it comes to the Super Bowl and all that stuff that's going on this afternoon, and this evening, and they make such a huge fuss about it. You know, I think uh, I think they said the coverage started at like two o'clock this morning or something. Uh, I think it started at noon or something like that. But they spent so much effort and so much time talking about it. You know, make a huge deal about a game, right? And that's uh, why I think it. And, and I saw. Um, it was pretty good. I think we were watching one of the uh, playoff games or something. I don't really follow it too closely until it gets to be playoff time. And even then, I I, I couldn't even tell you who played last week. I was but uh, I, I, I was watching one of these games, and I, I think I even mentioned it to my wife or Jackson, maybe. These people are just going crazy, you know? Uh, and just, I mean, you see the, the, and there's a reason they call people fans, right? It's short for fanatics, and that's exactly what these people are. And, uh, I mean, just losing their minds over a football game, you know, or a basketball game or something like that. And I sit there thinking, if only we had Christians that were as excited about getting the message of the gospel out as people are as about sitting at a, at a football game. I mean, it's nothing for them to get 50, 60, 70,000 people into a stadium to watch a football game. Yeah. Right? Try to get 50, 60, 70,000 Christians to get excited about being at church. <laughs> I mean, you might get 50, 60, 70. Right? Take three zeros off the end. That's, that, and that's the state of Christianity today. It's sad, honestly. I hope at least for our church, we're excited. We get as excited about the things of God as we will about the football game later on this afternoon or any other game that we sit there and watch, right? But I'll mention this too. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you allow into your home. Be careful what you allow yourself to watch, right? We're going to have a, a Super Bowl halftime show on it, and honestly, I don't even know who's singing or playing or whatever else. But I guarantee you it's not going to be something that God is pleased with. Right. right? I guarantee you it's not going to be something that lifts up the name of Jesus Christ. Right. And there's probably going to be a whole lot of other things in it that actually go exactly the opposite direction of that. Right? And I'm not telling you to turn it off for whatever else, but I would highly recommend that you do that. If you want to watch a football game, watch the football game. And, and by the time we get out of church tonight, it, you know, usually by the time we get to do Everything we want to do at church and get home, halftime is still not over, right? So you can watch the second half of the game. Really, it's what? Two, the last two minutes of the game, you probably can't really manage anyway, right? But if you saw the last two minutes, you'd be good. And uh, they're going to keep showing you replays and everything that happened and all that stuff. You'll get to watch the game. Uh, but, but just be careful about what you allow into your home. Amen. Just because it's the Super Bowl doesn't mean that everything goes, right? Doesn't mean that it's going to, oh, this is great. Watch anything we want to watch tonight, right? Be careful what you allow in your home. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you're what you're looking at. Be careful what your kids are seeing. Because they're absorbing everything. And uh, we, we need to make sure that we're paying attention to that. That's just that's just my two cents. They could relate it, but I think it's uh, I think it's important that we that we pay attention to that. In Exodus chapter three, we have a story of Moses, and it's a story that honestly we've read times through, I'm, I'm sure that you, it's one of the stories that we tell the kids in Sunday school. So I know you're familiar with that, but we'll pick it up in verse number one of Exodus chapter three. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. They led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mouth of God, even to Horeb, 
the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, he said, here am I. He said, draw not thy hither, don't come any closer, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression where the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Israel was in bondage to Pharaoh. They were not enjoying liberty. They were slaves. Their days were employed in making bricks for the treasure cities of Pharaoh. If you know anything about the story, Pharaoh got to the point where he said, I'm not even going to supply the straw for you anymore to make those bricks. You go make your own straw and use them for your bricks. So, as if this taskmaster uh, was not bad enough, as if being enslaved and in bondage was not bad enough. Now they had to make their own bricks, and, and life just got that much more difficult, but their backs were turned into bullseyes for the taskmaster's whip. God's people were in crisis. The nation of Israel was in need of deliverance. And here on the backside of the desert, in the land of Midian, a Hebrew fugitive tended to the sheep of his father-in-law. And as Moses watched the flocks of Jethro, he noticed a bush burning on the mountain. And I'm sure it was, it was a desert. I'm sure it was not all that uncommon to see a bush on fire. But as Moses watched that bush, and it stayed lit, and it stayed burning, and it didn't just consume like most of the dry brush would have done on the backside of the desert, and it caught his attention, and so he walked over to where that bush was to see, something's weird about this. Something's not right. Why is this bush burning but not being consumed? And as Moses approached that burning bush, he heard and out of that bush, God spoke to Moses from within those burning branches of that desert bush. And as God spoke to Moses, he started to tell him about some very valuable truths concerning God and his relationship to his people there in bondage in Egypt. And within this divine dialogue of Exodus chapter 3, we can find some encouraging truths for a nation in crisis. There's no debating the fact that our nation just like the nation of Israel, is in crisis. Politically, spiritually, economically, physically, definitely spiritually is the most important. We are in a crisis in this nation. Our nation needs to hear from Christians. Our nation needs to hear from God. We have the answers from the Word of God. We know what this nation needs. So I want to consider for a few minutes some encouraging truths here from Exodus chapter 3. We'll talk for just a couple minutes about our message for a nation in crisis. What do they need to hear from us? Our nation is in crisis. We have a message that we can share with that nation. Let's pray and we'll look at a couple of those things this morning. Father, we do love you. Give me thank you so much for how good you are to us. 
thank you for the fact that we have the word of God that we can base our truth upon. And God, I pray that you help us to share those truths with our nation at this time. Where this nation is in crisis, particularly spiritually, with the dirt in the land, the famine in the land, not for want of water, but for want of hearing of the word of God. I pray that you help us to be the ones that will share that. As you speak to our hearts this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see that we can give a nation in crisis is that they need to hear that God is alive. Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And of course, Moses hid his face because of that. Moses discovered on that day that God of the past was alive and well in the present. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. They had long since died. Here they spent 400 years in bondage to the Israelites. God is not talking about somebody that was alive at that time or somebody who had just passed away. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived long before Moses came on the scene. And he said, I am the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. I don't know Moses' situation on the backside of the desert in detail, but I can imagine he felt probably a little bit abandoned by God. Here he is, moving up the ranks in Pharaoh's court. He is a somebody. He's special. He's been trained by Pharaoh's teachers. He's important. And the next thing you know, he's on the backside of the desert doing one of the most menial jobs you could possibly do and attending sheep. I can imagine there were times when Moses felt that God had abandoned him. I can imagine that he felt that God had let him down, brought him to the backside of the desert to, to drown in obscurity. And that's what Moses was doing at that time. How long did Moses spend on the backside of that desert? Forty years. Forty years! Could you imagine what he must have been thinking at year 35 and 36 and 37, 38 and 39? He must have been saying, I'm probably just going to do this the rest of my life. I thought I was going to be somebody special. I thought God was going to be able to use me. Here I am, 40 years into it, I'm still on the backside of the desert watching these dumb sheep. You know what? God spent 40 years teaching Moses how to be a somebody. Then he brought him to that backside of the desert and taught him for 40 years how to be a nobody. Amen. So when he could spend the last 40 years of his life learning what somebody who thinks he's a nobody can do with a somebody. Right. If God did. And that's exactly what happened with Moses. God came to Moses in that burning voice. And the God of the forefathers was the same God in Moses' day. Circumstances and the hardships that his people were in did not mean that their God was dead. Turn over, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 59. You and I as Christians need to be quick to, to pocket the pessimistic reports that we hear about our nation and promote the truth that God is alive and well and he remains on the throne. He's alive. You believe that this morning. Amen. You believe that the same God of Peter and Paul and Moses and Elijah and Charles Spurgeon and D.L. Moody and Billy Sunday is the same God that we serve today. Whether you believe it or not, I'm here to tell you that he is alive. And Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 1 and 2 makes that very clear. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you that he will not hear. Not that God can't, you won't, because of the sinful condition of Christians in this nation. As I've told you many times before, as we're made aware of in the Bible, 
Most of the fault in this nation lies with us as Christians. We've sinned against God. We've moved further and further away from God. Most often without a care or concern about what it's done to his heart. That's our father. And we've moved away from him. We've sinned against him. Can you imagine what that does to a part of our father? An old couple were driving down the road, and I believe I've told you this story before. They were driving down the road in their own pickup truck. The wife turned to her husband. She said, honey, remember when you, we used to sit on this bench seat so close together? You had your arm around me. You used to whisper in my ear that you loved me. Now here we are. We sit on opposite sides of the truck. Husband turned to his wife and said, I haven't moved. And isn't that exactly what we do with God? God, why are you not here anymore? Look what's happening in our nation. How can we not hear in our prayer? We're asking you to do something in our nation. We're asking you to send revival. We're asking for this. We're asking for that. You can't hear us anymore. How can we just be so close together? This nation and God used to have such a close relationship. What happened? You don't do that anymore. You don't show us that you love us anymore. Essentially, God looks at us and says, I'm not the one that's moved. We're the one that's moved. That's not the focus of the message this morning. The focus is on the fact that God is still alive. And God is still on the throne. He's not resigned. He's not lost his power. He's not lost his hearing. He's not abandoned us. The nation in crisis needs to hear that God is alive. Number two, a nation in crisis needs to hear that God is attentive. Back to Exodus chapter 3, to verse number 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. Can you imagine how the Israelites must have felt? Oh, you hear all the stories about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all the stuff that God used to do for us. Right? Where is God now? Is he asleep? Is he hiding? Did he fall off the throne? Why isn't he taking care of us now? We're still supposed to be his people. And here every single day we face the whip of the taskmaster. We face the harshness of Pharaoh in telling us what we have to do. Where is God? He was looking. The Lord said, I've seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry by reason of Know their sorrow. Here's several wonderful truths about God. God saw the Israelites. God heard the cry of the Israelites. God knew their sorrows. God was interested and he was in he was in tune with the conditions and the needs of his people. They might have felt like God was distant. But the truth is that God was very near. He was attentive. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. As you turn over there, I'm going to read to you Psalm 34 and verse 15. It's a very similar verse in 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. He's attentive. He's awake. He's alert. He knows what's going on in our situation. He hears us when we're crying out to him. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. God's attentive. He's there. He's just waiting. I think often of a world in crisis feels that God doesn't want to hear from them. How many times have you talked to somebody and you heard them say, God can never forgive me? 
God can never save me. God can never do that for me. I'm such a wicked person. I think many of them know that they're living a wicked lifestyle. They know that it goes against the laws of the Bible. They, they feel as if God will never listen to a cry for help. Of course, we know that to be false. They don't know that, and they need to hear from us that God is attentive. God will hear their prayer if they cry on him. God will hear them if they're asking for forgiveness. He's listening for them to cry out. God told Moses that he had heard the cry of those that were under the torment of their oppression. That's great news for a nation that's being oppressed by the avowed enemies of God. Satan is trying to do everything he can to destroy Christianity. And not just Christianity, but God himself. I believe Satan, even though he knows his end, still thinks that there's a chance that he can one day get you to God. That's what his ultimate goal was at the beginning before he fell, right? I can be like God. I can be just as great as them. I can rise up and be like that. I think Satan still has that mindset today. He's the avowed enemy of God, which means he's the avowed enemy of anybody who has any intention of turning to Jesus Christ. But the harder truth for us is that God told Moses so he could go deliver the message to his people. Right? Honestly, what would be the point of God sharing that information with Moses if the whole point was for him to keep that information to himself? Oh, I heard my people. I know that they're, they're, they're crying. I know that they're uh, being oppressed, and I'm listening, I'm attentive, but don't tell anybody, because this is between you and me. Right? No! Why did he come tell Moses? He came to tell Moses because he said, and hey, you're the one that I need to go tell my people now. Right? Could God speak audibly on the earth if he wanted to? Absolutely he could. Does he? No. We are his eyes. We're his hands. We're his voice. And if we're not going to tell these people, then who's going to? I think I was talking to Kevin the other day, right? I said, there is no plan B. God doesn't have a plan B. It's us, or they don't hear. God's not going to send a magical message in the sky that says, you need to accept Jesus Christ. Right? He gave us his word, and he sent Christians to preach that word. Right? What did he say to the rich man? You know the story of rich man Lazarus. Lazarus was, was in heaven, right? He died and went to heaven, and then the rich man in hell lifted up his eyes and he saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, right? And what's the first thing that he said? Then Lazarus had dipped his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in these flames, right? So he realized there was no way that he was going to get out of the torment. What did he say after that? Send somebody to tell my brothers about this place. I don't want them to come here. What did Abraham say? Yeah, Moses and the prophets. Right. This is plan A. And there's only one plan. Yeah. It's Christians that have to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, was God attentive? Absolutely. God knew what his people were going through. God knew what they needed. He selected some right. He will hear their cry. He will save them. Our message to the nation, the nation of spiritual crisis, has to be that God is attentive. A nation in crisis needs to hear that God is alive. Needs to hear that God is attentive. And lastly, a nation in crisis needs to hear that God is real. Back in Exodus chapter three. Exodus chapter three and verse number eight. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large, unto a land of 
We know that is a problem. Right? God is going to take them out of that situation and bring that situation so much better than he can make their understanding of And as this discussion between Moses and the Lord continues, the fact is made clear that not only did God know about the situation surrounding his people, but he intended to do something about it. God declares to Moses that he would come down to deliver them. God was able to turn their bondage into liberty and their sorrow into shouting. He had a great plan for them. A nation in crisis needs to hear that God understands, but also that God is able to undertake the necessary action to turn a bleak situation into a blessed situation. He is able. Can God change a life? Do you believe that? Can God turn this nation back to himself? Do you believe that? God can send a revival. Do you believe that? God's still in the soul-saving business. Do you believe that? And if you say you do, and I know you say you do, then let's tell them what Jesus Christ can do for them. If you say you believe it, then let's share that message. In 1847, Frederick Douglass, who was an eloquent speaker, explained, was addressing an anti-slavery convention just over the Ohio line in Salem. And his own sufferings and, and those of his people pressed and bitterness was very obvious in the speech that he was given that day. He was obviously very bitter against changes that were not taking place and, and all of the other things. In the middle of that speech, he was interrupted by an old woman who was a unique, powerful figure in the anti-slavery crusade by the name of Sojourner Truth. She had a lot of respect amongst all of those fugitive uh, slaves because of the work that she had done. She interrupted Frederick Douglass in the middle of that speech, and she said, Frederick, Frederick, is God dead? I don't think she was waiting for an answer. She was asking a rhetorical question. Is God dead? Of course God's not dead. God's alive. He's still alive and well. He's not, he was not dead in the days of Moses. He was not dead in the days of Gideon. He wasn't dead in the days of Peter and Paul. He wasn't dead in the days of Spurgeon and Moody. And he's not dead today. God is alive. And if we believe that, then we need to live like we believe that. We have a message for a nation in crisis, and we need to proclaim it loud and clear. A nation in crisis needs to hear that God is alive. Nations in crisis needs to hear that God is attentive. The nation in crisis needs to hear that God is A lot of people out there today maybe not even really concerned about the spiritual side of things. Oh, look at our economy. Oh, look at our military. Oh, look at this. Oh. And they realize that our nation is in crisis and they don't have any weapons. They, they, they don't feel like God wants to hear from them. They feel like God's abandoned them, or for that matter, sometimes they don't even care. Our nation is in crisis. Spiritually is where the problem lies. And they need to hear from Christians that God can change their lives. Christians need to understand that God is alive. And the same God that we serve today is the God that Abraham served, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and Peter, and Paul, and John, and everybody else. That God did great things for. We know a lot of stories. 
Men like Spurgeon and Moody and Sermon, how God just used them to shape continents. We've, we've heard the stories of how God has done things through different men who, who had specialized skills. Orphanages and different things like that. God moved in a great and mighty way. And we look back on those things and we say, boy, that would be so great if we had the same God. If God still did the same things today. God wants to. And God can. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy that it cannot save. Your nature. Your sins are put away from you. I know that's not the point of the message today. But the thing is, we've got to make sure that we're living our lives in a way that God can use us. We're living our lives in a way that we don't have sin that separates us from one another. But we have got to get a message out to this world that God can and will. So if your life is in crisis, the reason a nation is in crisis is because individuals are in crisis. God knows that. And God is the only one that can do something about it. But somebody has to tell us. And that's our job. That's our responsibility. A nation in crisis needs to hear from you. Won't you tell them? Won't you tell them, put a friend they come over here and just say something to you? Let him hear. Let him hear the message of the gospel. Let God change their lives. Well, you, you know how thrilled you would be if one of your friends came to the church and got saved? Or one of your friends came to church and heard the gospel and you were able to follow up with them and lead them to Jesus Christ? Do you know the thrilling feeling of leading somebody to Jesus Christ? There is nothing. Amen. Amen. And God wants to use us to do that. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Give thank you so much for how good you are to us. And again, we thank you for entrusting us with the message of the gospel. You could have done it miraculously. You could speak audibly to people. You entrusted us with the message of the gospel. What a responsibility. I pray that you help us to never take that for granted. I pray that you help us to use every single opportunity we can share that message. Not just with the lost and dying world, but with our lost and dying neighbors, with our lost and dying co-workers, with our lost and dying families. I pray that you help us to make it personal to the place where we will tell them. God, I pray that you use us. I pray that you help us to lead souls to Jesus Christ this year. Pray that people would get saved because we are taking our responsibility to do it. Thank you for what you do in the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand at your seat with your heads bowed and your eyes